what a joy and an honor it is to gather together as the body of Christ on this wonderful Sunday morning. It, it is a privilege of mine to be with you, and I am joyed, overjoyed with just being in the presence of my church family, worshiping together, learning together, and celebrating our Savior together. You know, there are a lot of perspectives and opinions out there, and, and I get that, but there are many people who believe that the pastor's job is to give them what they want, what they desire, and what they prefer. But my job really is, biblically, to know the condition of my sheep, of this flock, and minister to those specific needs. And needs are the real reason why I preach every weekend, to bring God honor, to bring Him glory, to preach His word. But the needs that this congregation have are what I'm called to speak into. And that's my heart and my goal each and every weekend. And so as we begin this new series called Rules for the Road, really what this is, is, is this is a series that is designed to help us know what it is that we are supposed to do and why we are supposed to do it. But it also is a series that's going to kind of set the table for the next series that we're going to do here in just a few weeks. And so this Rules for the Road idea is really important. And I hope that you will engage and you will connect and that you will learn and that you will grow during this series. As we start the series, I want to put a few things on the screen. What do these things have in common? Gross. Snickers, that's nasty. Uh, we got Michael Jackson's Thriller album. We got the Nokia phone. How many of y'all had that Nokia phone right there? That, that 50 or that 1100? We got some 1100s around here. How many of y'all still use the 1100? Uh, we got the movie Avatar. All of the teenagers, we, we know this, Minecraft, maybe some, some dudes, some adult dudes do that as well. And then we have the, the, the Da Vinci Code. I'm not having a stroke. That was not a stutter either. I'm not sure what's going on. But what do these things all have in common? Some of you already know. Some of you are guessing. Maybe you're just on the edge of your seat waiting. Well, they're all bestsellers. They're on the top of the list in their class. I mean, Snickers has sold 3.7 billion worldwide. I'm not sure how they beat Twix, but they did. <laughs> and Twix is the best, by the way. They, they should be on the top. But it's true, they won. The best-selling album of all time is Michael Jackson's Thriller. It sold a crazy 70 million Records. That doesn't even count for all the ones that were like bootlegged. <laughs> this Nokia 1100, it sold 250 million. The iPhone 6 is the highest ranking iPhone and it is in number three position. This thing will last like 400 hours on standby. That's not a joke. You can Google it. It will last 400 hours on standby, and you can talk for five hours straight. The best-selling movie, not Rogue One, not Titanic, not The Lord of the Rings, to my sadness, but Avatar. 
That's a weird movie, by the way. How many of you liked Avatar? See, it's just weird. It's the ones with the little blue people, and it's strange. It sold 240 million units. Minecraft has sold over 240 million units as well. I'm sorry, uh, Avatar was 2.8 billion, and Minecraft is 240 million. The Da Vinci Code is number one on the list of best-selling books. I bet you didn't see that one coming. The Da Vinci Code. It has sold over 5 million copies. And so that makes it the best-selling book of all time, except that it's not. All of these items have sold millions and millions and even billions of copies and units, but it's estimated that, that this book that we hold inside of our church services or we have on our nightstands called the Bible has sold, sold multiple billions. Five to seven billion worldwide is estimated. 20 million Bibles are sold each and every year in the United States alone. It blows everything else completely out of the water. And it's, it's often left off of most top-selling lists because they were being sold long before tracking existed. But really, it cannot be denied. The Bible is the number one seller of all time. And no one actually disputes that fact. But there is more to this sales-topping document. It's, it's not just any book, and we might call it, maybe you've called it the good book before, like I stand on the good book, the, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, it's the book for me, you know. We, we've all sung those songs before. But it's really a large collection of documents. It contains history and poems and letters to churches and letters to people and prophecy. 66 documents total that were put together to create as a whole what we now in our culture call the Bible. The people in our Bibles didn't actually call it the Bible. In fact, they didn't even have a completed collection of these documents for several hundred years following the life of Jesus. Letters were copied, and then they were circulated, and, and, and our Bible was written by about 40 different authors over the course of roughly 1,500 years in three different languages. It, took, it, took, uh, it was on three different continents. There's a lot that goes into what we call our Bible. Now, the Bible may be the, the best-selling book in the world, but it's not often on the top of our list. It's not always on the top of my list. And if you're being honest, you know that it's not on the top of your list every single moment of every single day either. And right or wrong, everyone has their reasons for that. Sometimes it's apathy, it's laziness, it's a discipline issue. Sometimes you just got to be honest and say it's, it's just old. It can sometimes be hard to understand depending on what version you're reading today. And many of us don't like to read. So that's a challenge as well. So trying to read something you don't actually understand just doesn't seem worth it. It can't, it's just, I can, I can see where you're coming from if that is your perspective today. And if you're not already convinced that the Bible is worth your time, it's a hard sell. Everyone in it is dead. It's long. 
It's overwhelming. You never know where to start. And did I mention it can seem confusing? And if you're one of those people who just open it, open it up and read it and read the very first thing you see, you might end up in the Levitical law, which is, which is rough. <laughs> which is rough. Or maybe you're not sold on the Bible being beneficial to you because you grew up in church, so you think you know what's in there. Or the last thing that you want to know is what's in there. You might be faced with something that may cause you to rethink or change something in your life. And if that's you, just be honest about that in your heart because it's there and God already knows it's there. Or maybe the biggest reason for you is you're not interested in the Bible because you feel you can't really know that it's legit or that it's accurate. I mean, let's be honest about what we've all probably thought at one point in or another during our faith walk. Can we really know that, that a book with 66 documents in it that was written by dozens of people over the course of 1,500 years on several different continents in three different languages is accurate? If it's all made up, if it can't be relied on, then who wants to read a massive book for the sake of just reading a massive book. Why bother? If it's a scam like some of you have been told, there's no way that you're going to base your life on it. And if it's just rules that are, that are written by a bunch of dead guys, then no chance I'm going to let it tell me who I can love, how I can spend my money, or what value systems I should have in my life, or what's right and wrong. And that's the problem for so many. Can we know? And some of you have no question at all about it. You believe every word, you trust it, you know it is accurate, possibly because you're not naturally skeptic. Or maybe you've done the research for yourself. That's what I've done. I've done the research myself. I, I have done the deep dive into why I believe the Bible is accurate. And maybe you're like me, and you're, you're on the other side of this struggle. But that zero-question group is very small. This connects back to what I said at the beginning of this sermon. I am prone to, people are prone to tell me that I need to just listen to what you want and desire. But when I listen to what really is going on in the hearts of our people, I find that there are a lot of questions. That there are a lot of struggles going on in your heart when it comes to issues of faith. That even if you're a committed Christian, you still may have questions. <laughs> and that's normal. And that's okay. I have questions all the time based on things that I hear and arguments that I'm faced with. And I have to do the very thing that I'm going to challenge you to do. I have to research and I have to dig deep to find the answers just like anyone else. You see, informing ourselves with answers to the good, hard questions will only be a benefit as we build relationships with unbelievers in our circles and then share 
the hope that we have with them. So can we know? Well, there are people who have dedicated their entire lives to researching and compiling accurate information about the document that we all have access to called the Bible. And today, I want to just look at one document that provides us with something significant to just think through. And this has been so helpful to me, and this can help us make sense of, of other letters and documents found inside of our Bibles. And it communicates God's heart to us. So if you have a Bible with you, if you don't, that's okay. You can use your phone, a device, or the screen. There's no right or wrong way to have a copy of God's Word today. Find Luke chapter 1. This is one of four letters that are often called the Gospels, and it was written to a guy named Luke, or written by a guy named Luke. And so here's how it starts, which I think is extremely fascinating. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. The first word of this book or this letter is often missed. The word many. What have many done according to Luke who is documenting his research? Well, many have undertaken to draw up an account. And we know what that means. I hope you know what that means. A lot of people have, have tried to write down all of the things that happened when Jesus was living on this earth in human form. It would seem that something significant had taken place that many would then try to document it. Something important had happened. Now, we've been fortunate enough to have the writings from four people who were able to capture what happened during this important time in history. And what happened? Well, Jesus is what happened. Jesus was born as a human but was also God. He lived among the people. He was crucified on a cross and he rose from the dead all because he loved us and desired a relationship with us. That's something that you want people to know about. That is something that you want the world to remember. And these first four documents of our New Testament and all the other letters were then passed around meticulously, copied, and sent to other churches. Luke says that many people wanted to write about what had happened, and many did. Now, if you're familiar with the social media platform Twitter, this is the biggest retweet the world has ever seen. <laughs> Only two laughed because nobody knows what Twitter is. So, because of this passion to share what had happened, thousands of manuscripts were circulated and dated. Now, we don't have the actual parchment that Luke used, for example, but thousands upon thousands of copies exist. Evidence of the Old Testament Hebrew text together with an astounding number, more than 24,000 of partial or complete manuscripts of the New Testament give us solid historical background to the reliability of our Bible. And there are many more copies just of the New Testament letters than there are of, of any other writing in all of history. 
I mean, think of Buddha and Homer and Odyssey and those. There are some of those historical gods or characters that people believe in today that only eight copies actually, one, only eight copies actually exist that prove that they may have existed. Some have said if it's been copied so many times, then there has to be many errors. And that's a valid concern. But this has been investigated to the fullest. You can find one research facility that has a copy of Luke chapter 1 that's dated AD 250 and then put it next to another research facility that has a copy of the letter of Luke from 750 AD. And you can actually look and see if anything has changed over hundreds of years of copying. And what you'll discover is mind-blowing. That not a single significant difference can be found. And what I mean by that is content. And context has always stayed consistent. Yes, you're going to find grammatical things. You're going to find missed letters. And you're going to find words that, that have been missed. But nothing that would change its message has ever been missed or messed with. This is God preserving his word for us. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, if you ever study this, it's so amazing to see how meticulous this process was. They, they handled this copying of what they believed to be God's inspired word with extreme care. They would check it, recheck it, have someone else check it, just so we could have these accounts in what we call our Bible today. They wanted to make sure that what they copied was complete and accurate. It sounds like it must have been very important. So Luke will continue. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That is referring to Jesus. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke declares right from the beginning that these are not just stories that he is writing down. He records what eyewitnesses had told him. These were, these were people who were with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, and who had been with those who had been. They knew the truth. They saw it happen before their very eyes. In the same way that we don't, that we didn't personally witness the Mayflower bringing pilgrims and landing in Massachusetts. But it was documented and it was corroborated many times over, so we believe it. Here it's amazing how Luke's account lines up with Matthew and John, who were also with Jesus. There's an interesting Greek word that shows up here. It's the word for eyewitnesses. It's the, it's the Greek word autoptes. It's where we get the English word autopsy, which is an investigation after someone has passed away. And, and Luke is not just chasing fairy tales. He is investigating information. He was doing a research project about the man who was called Jesus, who was also God in the things that he did among the people. Luke was a very well-educated man. He was smart. He was intellectual. 
He was a doctor. And he was thorough in what he discovered. And this is what makes his writing so unique. I love the book of Luke. He does the research and then he provides real evidence. And he did this for a reason, verse 4. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. We don't really know who this Theophilus was. There's some speculation as to who he was. But Luke wrote to him so he can be certain of something. That what he had been taught about Jesus, about this life-changing message of the gospel was accurate. And Luke wanted to get this right, so he puts in the work. He does what is needed to make sure that it is accurate. He did that so Theophilus and you and I could be sure that what it says about Jesus and the creator of this universe were true, that it's reliable. Luke is giving us context. And context can help you clear up any uncertainty and confusion that you may have about the Bible. We see the big picture. The story about Jesus is accurate and it's clear, and that's because he, Luke, was committed to do the work, to research and get it right. What had taken place with the God-man named Jesus was so unbelievable and so incredible that he had to take it all in and he had to write it all down so carefully so that the current and the future reader would see, know, and remember how big of a deal this was. Whoever this Theophilus was, he needed it. And so do we. We need to know that it's trustworthy. That if Luke wrote it down, if Luke wrote down the truth, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived among mankind, was sinless, he healed disease and sickness, and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead, then everything changes. That's something to pay attention to. If someone comes back from the dead, that's something that we need to remember. That's something to take note of. That this is the most important story to ever be written. Jesus is trustworthy. And if the story is true, following him, trusting him with everything that we have and giving away our lives to his mission is worth it. Listen, Luke is just one of the people who wrote down the truth about our great God and what he has done for the world. We call it a book we call it the Bible, but it's so much more than that. And my prayer for our church family is that we will continue to discover more about this God who sent his son to this earth to save us. That we wouldn't just throw it out or disregard what it actually is, especially if you haven't taken the time to actually consider what it says. Because I've read a lot of books and nothing can actually compare with it. But you have to decide that for yourself. I can't decide that for you. I can't decide that for my own children or my own wife. 
You have to decide that for yourself. And you owe it to yourself to know why you do or do not believe what it says. So, what can you do? And understanding what the Bible is, you have to begin with context. What is biblical context? Well, it's the backstory. It's a story that sets up the story. If you want to understand what you are reading, context will help you understand. You will notice that all of the Gospels begin with some kind of history about Jesus. And when you can see what is, what is going on in the storyline beneath the surface in the background, you can have confidence in what you are reading. Here's the thing. Research the hard so you can understand the heart. It makes things clearer. So I want to encourage you this morning to, to get a Bible that helps you with this. <laughs> this cannot be stressed enough. Get a translation that you like. There is not one translation. Life application Bibles are great resources. My life application NIV is my go-to Bible for personal study and reading every single day, almost every single day. You see, with a good study Bible, you will find some really good answers to some really good questions like, who wrote it? Who was the audience? When was it written? And why was it written? These questions are all answered inside of a really good study Bible, which is okay for you to get those answers from. And those things are really, really helpful as you understand context and storyline. You can maybe start with Luke. If you're, little, if you're struggling to read your Bible and you're like, where do I go? What do I do? Start with Luke this week. And then maybe read the sequel, the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of them to the same person. They were both written for Theophilus, so put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in Theophilus' shoes. Your friend Luke has done a lot of work for you so you could know what actually happened. So you can see things with clarity. So research the heart so that you can understand the heart. And why is context so important? You see, when we take what the Bible says out of context, it can lead to some pretty dark and bad places. We see in our culture and, of, and with critics of Christianity all the time, they, they do this all the time. They will take that one verse or that one story and they will not read what happened four, five, six chapters before it and they will trip up a bunch of people. I have a bunch of friends who have gone to secular universities and they've come out and they've had all these questions and, and they've been like, well, do you know what God did in this certain point in history? And I'm like, yeah, I know. Do you know why? Well, no. Well, why don't you read three chapters before that little story that that guy took out of context and you'll actually understand why and it'll make sense and you won't be so confused. See, there are essential things to consider when it comes to context. What is the text actually communicating? And how would they have understood it at the time it was being written in history? You even have to consider grammar and how things were structured. Paul uses a different type of structure in his writing than Luke used. Paul would almost write in reverse. 
He would start with the end and go to the beginning. It is sometimes really confusing if you're reading Paul's letters. It's different. How they write is important. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And it's crucial that we consider context. It's so crucial that we consider context. Now, don't get overwhelmed. Because I know some of you are feeling that inside right now. You're kind of like, oh, I don't really want to. Or I don't really want to. I don't really know if I can. Am I educated enough? Am I smart enough? I don't know. But this isn't a legalistic thing. It's not a legalistic list of everything you must consider every time you open your Bible. But this is what you do when you have those deep questions, those hard questions, when something doesn't make sense, when you want to know more about something significant. I'm going to use a millennial or a Gen Z example here. Some of y'all are just going to have to just follow along. But this is kind of like zooming in on something on your phone. Like on Instagram, when you really want to zoom in on those new tires of your friend's F-350 truck, like that's what it is. You're like zooming in. You want to get a better look at something because you want to understand what it is. You want to be able to find it. You want to be able to get the same thing, whatever it may be. That's what context looks like. It's zooming in. It's, it's you using your, your Google Maps app and you zoom in on that location to get a better look at how things are. You see, when phrases or passages are taken out of context, when you don't take that closer look, it often leads to misunderstanding. And this has happened over and over again just in my own years of ministry. So many problems rise up in the lives and the hearts of people because they don't understand context. I've experienced firsthand people getting worked up and tripped up over something that they heard someone else claim was a contradiction in the Bible. Because they didn't take the time to learn and see and know for themselves. And these are great things to study. And when you hear them, don't just disregard them or be too afraid to look into them. I think you owe it to yourself to dive deep. Because what I know is when you don't dive deep and you don't look for the context, I've seen this hundreds and hundreds of times as a pastor, it leaves a crack for Satan to wiggle into and he will mess with you and he will mess with your life and he will take you down a road that you don't necessarily need to go down. There are good answers to the hard questions and I want you to understand this. None of your hard questions take God by surprise. He's not freaked out when you don't understand something. He's not upset when you struggle with something. You have to leave room for yourself. And you have to leave room for your own family. That's hard. And you have to leave room for the unbelievers in your life. To wrestle with the hard things. But let us be the secure ones who are armed with both trust and tools and ready to walk alongside those who are struggling and get them in the trenches of researching and knowing what God really says. See, God's good character can always be seen even in the hard things. Now, statistics show that 
that more are on the struggle bus when it comes to reading the Bible. It can be challenging. I get it. We're going to talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. But reading it in context can be even harder than just reading it every single day. It takes time. But it's worth it. You see, with the Spirit's help, your efforts of taking responsibility for your own faith walk, this time spent in God's Word will actually help you understand how much He loves you and what He is doing in your life and how He wants you to live. The classic scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Or doing the right thing, right living. So that you, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We use that sometimes as a banner just to plant our flag on the inerrancy of Scripture. And, we, and I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but it does so much more than that. It brings clarity to my heart and to my life. Many have undertaken to write about the events that took place. And if many people would take the time to write about these events, about our Savior, Jesus Christ, then we should pay attention. And if many, like Peter and Paul, and James and Jude would lay their life on the line for something made up. We should pay attention. Research the heart so you can understand the heart. There's more going on than what meets the eye. And God has given us what we need to understand how to live and where to go, and what to do. So will you do the hard work of understanding what context is before you make a move, before you get out of church, before you say, I'm turning my back on my faith, I'm walking away from the church, and, and, and maybe it's because of some experience that you've had with somebody else who's taken something out of context. I want you to just pause and just wait and give God a chance to change you and give God a chance to speak to you because what he says brings clarity. So what will you do? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you've heard a lot of things taken out of context over the years. Maybe you've been told that God did not die for every single person on the planet. That's false teaching. Maybe you've heard that, that you've got to be a good person in order to go to heaven. That's false teaching. Maybe you've heard that you've got to give enough money to the church and, or you've got, to, you've got to do enough good things in order to go to heaven. That's false teaching. But what Luke was so diligent to write for us was that Jesus came and he lived among us and he died for the world. And he gave his life for the world. 
And that those who repent and believe the gospel can know this Jesus. There isn't a person in this room who cannot respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ right now where you sit. But you have to humble yourself and repent of your sin and believe the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and lived that life you couldn't live. He never sinned. And he paid the price for your sin on the cross, and he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave, so you can have life and have it abundantly. So what will you do? The next move is up to you. As the Spirit is working... As the Spirit is moving in your life, the Scriptures are clear that when, when Christ is lifted high, He will draw all people to Himself. So are you lifting Christ high in your life, Christian? And are you making much of the cause of Jesus Christ? That's what we're passionate about here. These rules for the road... Not interested in the color of your hair or whether you have piercings or what kind of music you listen to. I'm worried about your commitment and complete submission to the person of Jesus Christ because that's all that matters. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful for the opportunity that we've had to gather together today. And we've gathered together under one name and that name is Jesus. And so God, take these songs that we have proclaimed back to you. Take this message that was given by a feeble, broken man and use your word to change hearts and to change lives. Because only you can. Only you can do the best work. And so God, I trust you with it. I trust you with my life and my heart. God, help me to understand what it is you are saying in your word that you've given to us and help me to live that out. God, if there's anyone in this room today that does not know you as their personal savior, God, I pray that today would be the day that they would be saved. You've made your gospel available. So God, we're thankful for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.